trust is going to be the new currency, right? And that's going to allow you to do things with your customers that you hadn't done before. And so how do you actually make sure that your supply chain actually creates that positive experience that builds that trust for your consumer? And that's, you know, building that trust is where you're going to start to then get the grace from the consumer. They're going to start to share information with you. It's going to allow you to create more personalized offers, more personalized experiences. That's going to be the key going forward. So I think the supply chain and fulfillment structure is going to be vitally important to building that trust. You're listening to Retail Remix your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Fulfillment has become a key area of opportunity for retailers. Over the past year, we saw companies across categories really try to bolster their fulfillment options. Those who didn't offer buy online pickup in store ramped things up to offer it in order to provide customers with a fast and safe option. Meanwhile, those that were maybe a little bit ahead of the curve were focused on offering new services such as curbside pickup or even drive-through. Now that this expanded mix of fulfillment and last mile options has almost become table stakes, I can't help but wonder, well, what's next? I sat down with Jeff Orschel of EY to get to the heart of just that. And he had some great perspectives on where retailers need to go and where they can go in order to better differentiate and innovate through the fulfillment experience. Listen in because he not only has some great perspectives from his work with retailers, but also some fantastic consumer research to validate these investments. Jeff, thanks so much for uh, being on the show. It's great to have you. Oh, that's really awesome to be here, Alicia. Thanks for having me. And we have a lot to get into, so let's do it. Obviously, you are EY America's consumer retail leader, so a lot of your day-to-day work, your focus is on the consumer, and obviously the consumer is top of mind for our audience. So I wanted to start there. You've been analyzing consumer priorities, sentiments, and ultimately how these shifts in mindset and feelings officially are are shifting shopping behaviors. So I would love your take on where the consumers' heads are at today. What's really happening for them? Well, so it's really interesting, Alicia. We started off probably three years ago putting together a point of view of what the consumer was going to look like in 10 years, like around 2030, right? And when COVID hit, oh my gosh, all the stuff that we thought would happen in 10 years just started to be accelerated. And so we quickly pivoted and we said, hey, we need to take a look at this. We need to start talking to our consumers. And so we actually surveyed tens of thousands of customers around the globe every six to eight weeks during COVID. We've done this six times and we published our most recent set of results in March. And there's some really interesting things there. And the thing that we're trying to find out it's initially, we're trying to find out how they're changing their behaviors now in the middle of COVID and all the stuff that was happening. But then we started asking them, how are you going to change when we get out of COVID? 
when this thing's in the rearview mirror and we're trying to get away from it as fast as possible, what's your behavior going to be like then? And so we've got some really interesting stuff that we found. And in this last survey that we did, it's really starting to take a lot of the trends that we saw throughout, and we're starting to see which ones are really starting to stick. And one of the interesting things is, is that when we've done this, we've kind of categorized or put into segments the consumers in terms of how they will shop going forward. And we came up with five distinct segments. One segment is about affordability first. And so this group of consumers, which is roughly a little less than a third, 29%, they are going to take and make value the first thing that they think about when they step onto your website or step into your store and they're thinking about what they're going to buy. They want to make sure that they're getting the most value out of their money. And this is probably an area where private label, whether it's clothing or whether it's food, is really going to be important to them. And it's also, and this group is also probably not as concerned about being brand loyal because they want to make sure that the money that they're spending to put food on a table and clothing on their kids is going to go as far as possible and give them the best value. And this is one that we've seen get stronger and stronger throughout COVID. And so it's really interesting to me that there's a significant chunk of the consumers that plan to make affordability one of the first criteria of their, their shopping decision. The second group was around health. And so this group is making you know, health choices as the primary decision when they make that what to buy and where to shop. And so they want to make sure that the food that they're buying, the clothing, all the things that they're purchasing are going to create a healthier lifestyle for them and also a healthier lifestyle for their family. The third group is purpose-oriented. It's all about society. And this is a group of 17%. They want to make sure that the retailers that they're spending their money with care just as much about the societies that they serve, the communities that they serve, as they do the shareholders that they serve, the stakeholders that they serve. And they're going to expect to see evidence of that. And the fourth group is a little bit smaller, just 16%, but this is planet first. So this is also a group that's focused on making sure that those retailers are focused on leaving the planet in better shape for their kids and for their grandkids. And they're probably going to be comfortable with buying less stuff. And they're probably going to be comfortable with a smaller assortment, which is kind of interesting. And then the last group is what I call life first. And this is the group that wants to get out there and experience life to its fullest once they can, once they get their freedom cards or their vaccination cards. And so I think the interesting thing here is that that affordability group keeps getting bigger. The other interesting thing is, is that across all five of these segments, we found a couple of interesting facts. So 28% say that they will pay a premium from brands that they trust. And so this kind of goes to one of the points we made early on in our in our surveys is that you know trust is emerging as the new currency. People want to buy from companies they know and trust. And so trust is really going to be important. And then the last one is, I know everybody's thinking about how can we get out of COVID and get back to normal. 38% in March told us that they still intend to do a lot of shopping online and will go back to the stores if that store gives them a great experience. And I find all these really you know, kind of exciting, and I'm kind of curious how this is all going to look six months from now. But I think the message for our retailers is that you really need to figure out, you know, understand your consumer that's walking in the door, because this tells us a lot about how they want to be served and where they plan to spend their money. So many fascinating points there, Jeff. And I love how you drew the connecting points between what the consumer is thinking, what they're feeling, and how that transitions into 
actual behaviors, right? Like where people go to shop, how they shop, um, what's top of mind for them from a decision-making standpoint. So I did want to ask you, you know, around the impact of these behaviors, the role they play on channels being used, right? Because I know for retail touch points and a lot of news outlets, we've been talking about that shift to digital. There are a lot of looming questions around Will this stick? And if so, for how long, to what level, especially to your point, as vaccines continue to roll out, as people get their freedom cards, so to speak. So, I mean, what what are you starting to see? I know you noted that consumers are eager to get back to stores. I mean, to what extent, I guess, do you foresee that happening? And what's that timeline look like? It's really interesting, right? Because in COVID, one of the side effects, and, and we probably should have been smart about this up front, but what we've done in COVID is we've just now heightened the expectations for convenience from our consumers. Consumers can now, they, they have this anytime, anywhere mindset, right? So now they can go to the store if they want. They can order online and pick it up at the store. They can order it at the curb at the store. They can, they can have it delivered to their home. And it's really gotten to the point that they kind of expect to have all of these different ways to get the products that they want. And the other thing that's happening is that, you know, at the beginning of COVID, the basket sizes were big, right? We, we saw like big basket sizes because that was back when we were doing the pantry, pantry loading per se. But as we've kind of gone along and people have realized it's so easy now, those basket sizes have come down. And so they are now thinking through this, I have this anytime, anywhere mindset, but then I also want to make sure it's delivered on my terms. And so Coming out of COVID, I think we've got a little way to go there. 56% are actually telling us that they won't consider getting back to normal until most of the people are vaccinated, which I find that a little high, but because I'm a little pent up and I want to get back out there. But 56% are telling us that. And then, like we said earlier, 38% saying they're willing to go back to the stores, but if it offers a good experience. But when we get to that point, I fully expect to see all of these channels that we put in place sticking. I mean, we're going to have stores kind of kick back up, but these other channels are still going to be an important part of retail going forward. That's great. And I'm glad you brought up the experience, right? Because I've noticed over the past year, we've been seeing this very strong emphasis on more of the convenience factor, I guess, for retail experience. So curbside pickup, big focus on the buy online pickup and store experience, very fast, seamless delivery partnership. So very much around let's get the product to the customer in the best, safest way possible. But now as we start to bring in the fact that consumers do maybe want to start getting back into stores and they want that experience, but they still are kind of hesitant and and selective. I mean, how do you foresee retailers striking this balance, I guess you could say, from a strategy and tech investment standpoint? Because we were covering so much around in-store experience and integrating tech into the store to engage. And then we just like saw that massive pivot. So I'm, I'm wondering where you think that's going. I think we learned a lot as a result of COVID, and I think a lot of those safety protocols will will be in place for a while until we kind of get more comfortable with the new normal. I do think, though, that we're going to pivot to more experiential retailing, and I think it's important to define experiential retailing. And so what we do is we talk about 
lowercase e experience and uppercase e experience. And lowercase e experience is really what everybody's been doing. They've been trying to take friction out of the process, whether that's online or in your store. They're trying to make it easier on you from a customer when you're going through their shopping journey. They're also trying to heighten that sense of, of convenience. So how can I make it more convenient? And the, it's not only the channels, but it's also the things within the channel. So for example, contactless payments is one of those small e things that's make, taking friction out of the process. You know, checkout, contactless checkouts is another one. I would even say buy online, pick up in store is one of those things that they put in place to take friction out of the process. So those are kind of what I would call those low E or that lowercase E. And it's, it's important stuff. Don't get me wrong. This is all important stuff. But I think what's coming around the corner after that is what the uppercase E is. And this is where the retailer becomes that indispensable part of that consumer's life. I like to ask the question, you know, you're indispensable based upon how you would answer this question. You know, if, if you went out of business tomorrow, what would your customers do? Would your customers just simply kind of be, okay, that's kind of stinks, but I'll walk down the street and go to the next competitor and start shopping there. Or would they feel like there's this big void in their life because that retailer actually had such a huge impact on them more than just selling them the things that they need. And so that's where I think the next piece is going. And that really where is where you kind of create that intimate knowledge of your consumer. It's where you focus on their well-being as a result that's going to turn around and give you additional lifetime value and actually you know, give you a greater chance of turning into an unsolicited advocate for you to get new customers. Yeah, so, so that's a really interesting distinction. I like that use of lowercase e and uppercase e because I felt like over the past year, we saw this shift as far as how fulfillment was perceived, right? I feel like before 2020, it was largely, you know, something we covered because it's in our audience's consideration set. It's part of their priorities. We want to cover what consumers want or, or are expecting largely due to players like Amazon, right? That fast and easy delivery. But then I almost noticed that there were these little glimmers of innovation over the course of the past year where retailers were trying new things through the fulfillment experience in and of itself, whether that be integrating new tech or even locker type experiences or, or finding ways to almost like surprise and delight through the fulfillment process in and of itself. Do you think that there's potential there? Like, is there potential for fulfillment to evolve from a lowercase e to an uppercase e? Or do you think that fulfillment kind of has its place in the puzzle of retailing and it'll probably just like stay as it is now. I think fulfillment is a huge growth area and it's going to be even more important. I think it's it's moving from a back office function to a front office function. And just as an example of this, a few months ago, we met with the CEO of a large retailer. And one of the first things he asked us was what our opinion was on digital supply chain. He's like, I've got a lot of people that know the supply chain of yesterday, but they don't know the supply chain that we need today and tomorrow. And that was one of his big pieces there. And, I, and it's becoming so vitally important to, are you able to deliver on the experience that you promised that it's now a front office function? And retailers need to think about this very carefully, right? Because you have to adapt your fulfillment function to survive. If you don't, you're probably going to be left behind. And remember, even the small e-experiences, right? It's at any time, anywhere. It's all about convenience and it's all about all these new channels. So think about that from a supply chain perspective. 
Think about how many more nodes now we have to plan for from a supply chain planning perspective. Think about how do you actually take some of these new channels and now start to make them profitable by introducing automation into your supply chain. And so this is all going to be really, really important. you got the last mile you have to think about. You've got the automated DCs you got to think about. And you've got to think through, how do I plan for my supply chain? And it even becomes even more complicated because I don't think we're done yet seeing the impact of COVID-19. One of the questions that we ask is about where they plan to live. And the thing that amazes me, and this number has been really strong throughout, back in April, 23%, April of last year, 23% said that they plan to live in less densely populated areas. That number has only gotten bigger. And in March, it was 26% of consumers say they plan to live in less densely populated areas. So from a supply chain or from a fulfillment perspective, if I have a portion of that 26% decide that they're going to move from the urban areas to the suburban areas or from the suburban areas to the countryside, then do I have my stores in the right locations? And if I'm using that store as a fulfillment center, does that last mile now become the last five miles or the last 10 miles or the last 15 miles if they have to serve people who move outside of the suburbs? So this is really important. And in fact, 56% of retailers say that they expect over the next few years, supply chain to be one of the areas that they transform and change the most. So Felicia, I think this is a big, big area for the next several years. Yeah. I didn't even think about the implications of the move from urban areas to suburban areas and the fact that a lot of people don't feel as tethered to specific areas anymore, right? Especially with a lot of organizations attempting either hybrid or more work from home models. It's like there's a ripple effect, right? So as far as what retailers need to know to develop or or assess their strategy, right? I mean, we could probably go down the list of fulfillment and last mile type experiences and services, whether it be curbside, in-store pickup, touchless. I mean, it seems like the list is steadily growing. So what you just shared, Jeff, around the, the supply chain, you know, being the core, the foundation of all of this. I mean, what other parameters do you think retailers need to be thinking about to determine what services they should be focusing on? I guess short term or long term, right? Because to your point, if we're going to continue to see ripple effects or the impact for a while, I mean, how do retailers determine how to set a strategy in place? That's a very big question, right? And um, all those things that you just mentioned are all things that the consumers now want. But the thing is, they want it on their terms, right? They don't want to pay more for it. And they want it today or tomorrow, maybe the next day, but they're probably not going to give you much grace if you can't deliver it within two days. I mean, that's just... That's how things have kind of evolved during COVID. The delivery windows have just gotten shorter and the consumers are now expecting that. They, they're not saying we're gonna give you more grace. And in fact, we surveyed consumers during COVID back in the late fall and 21% said they will give grace to a retailer if they have a mishap as a result of the COVID pandemic. Only 21%. I would think that would be higher. Interesting. I would too. But you think about coming out of that, Alicia, it's not going to get any better, right? Because there's no more excuses with the pandemic. So I think that's the big thing you got to think about is those expectations are extremely high from the consumers in terms of cost, in terms of when they get it, 
and in terms of how much grace they're going to give you when you have a screw up. Yeah, the pressure's on then. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. So to that end then, I've been seeing and we've been covering a good number of retailers that have been trying to bolster their ecosystem, so to speak, for Last Mile by partnering with third parties, whether it be Instacart, Uber. I mean, there, there are a slew of others doing other types of Last Mile experiences. Is that a viable option? And most of all, I mean, how can retailers determine, okay, the best route is to do this type of partnership or the best route is to focus on building these capabilities internally or should we do a hybrid? I mean, I feel like there are a few follow-up questions as we look at this gig space in, in particular. Yeah, yeah, I think when we think about that question, right, I think we have to ground it in the fact that technology is changing more rapidly now than it ever has before. And it's only changing faster and faster every year we go by. So another way to say that is technology is never going to change this slowly ever again. And so if you choose to build these capabilities yourself, you got to be prepared for that, right? Because you may actually build this yourself. It's probably going to take longer than you expect. It's probably going to cost you more money. You may not deliver everything you expected to deliver, and it may be obsolete by the time you actually get it ready. So I am a big fan of looking at the partnering model or the buy it model, because I think there's plenty of companies out there in the ecosystem that are doing some very innovative things that retailers should think through how do they actually create these partnerships and pull these in so that they can actually create uh, an innovative experience quicker and get it out the market more quickly versus trying to do it all themselves. And this ecosystem play is hard, right? I mean, it's hard to know where should I enter the ecosystem? How should I treat partners in my ecosystem? You know, I might have to change my mindset from a win-only mindset to a win-win mindset. And it may be hard to do across an organization. So we've actually found that 82% don't really know how to build this ecosystem. And so that's the big thing. I would suggest retailers think through and pick a partner that they know and trust, that they feel can help them build this ecosystem, can help them find where money's being invested, track those investments, and know when things are getting ready and when the new innovations come around the corner. Because this is going to be an area that I think they're going to it's not a one and done. You've got to build that ecosystem and then continue to look to see how you can provide the next great experience. And now a word from our sponsor. The pandemic has nearly passed, but consumer habits have been set. If you aren't the most convenient option, you're losing sales to your competition. Luckily, Gimbal's on the way SDK lets stores know when a customer has left, if they're stuck in traffic, and when they've arrived. Don't make Timmy wait. I wonder how long this is going to take. Deliver magical experiences. Here's your order, sir. Whoa, thanks. For all your curbside and in-store pickup customers. Visit gimbal.com slash podcast to learn more. So if we were to kind of zoom out and break down the nuts and bolts, so to speak, of a great fulfillment experience, we've talked about doing it on the customer's terms, making it fast, making it easy, making it readily available. And by that, I mean, there's no added fees or, or charges to that experience. But I mean, what else plays a role in this fulfillment experience? Because I feel like communication also plays a role in there. Obviously, supply chain efficiency, inventory visibility. I feel like there are so many different moving parts to this, which is why 
fulfillment ultimately is so tricky because you're orchestrating supply chain, you're orchestrating picking and packing, marketing and communications. I mean, I feel like I get dizzy just thinking about it. But if you're to kind of break down the checklist, so to speak, what would be the key things to master in order to get this right? I think there's a few, well, more than a few, but I'm going to tell you four that I think are important. They're all important, but there's four that I think are important. And I'll start with the in-store fulfillment model. Most retailers have had to think very creatively in terms of how they fulfill online orders from the store. And they've done that really well. I really love the creativity that retailers have, and they were able to stand up this capability really quick. But now it's time to figure out how do you fulfill orders from the store profitably? And that's the big thing you got to do. So let me give you an example. Pick a grocery store. They will get a truckload at the back dock. They'll unload a pallet of water, bottled water. They'll put a floor jack under it. They'll take it out to the shelf. They'll stock the shelf. Only then have somebody come by with a cart and pick it off the shelf and take it to the back room again and stage it for a pickup order. You know, it doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense to do that, right? So you got to think through from an in-store fulfillment model, how do you use technology to make this process less labor-intensive? But then you also got to think through how do you actually set the store so you don't have to move inventory around? Because every time you move inventory in a store, that eats into your margin. So I think that in-store fulfillment model is really, really important, and they've got to get that right. The last mile, I think, is also another important piece. And there's a couple options here, right? So you can use the parcel carriers. You can build it yourself. We just talked about that. Or you can use partners. I think you've got to pick one and go with it. And we talked about my favorite point there is the whole partnering piece. I think the other piece that's really, really important, and this gets into technology, and this is several retailers now are starting to look at artificial intelligence to figure out what products to stock and what points in their delivery and their supply chain. So think about all these new channels that we stood up have added tons of new nodes to your supply chain. And how do you know what products to put where without actually increasing the working capital that sits on your balance sheet, but then also making sure you get the right products and the right points in your network so that you can fulfill those orders, but then you don't have stuff sitting there on the shelf forever. So I think that's going to be an important one. And then these automated fulfillment centers, whether it's a central fulfillment center strategy or a micro fulfillment center strategy or some high combination of both, that's also going to be really important because that's going to be how you're going to be able to serve those home delivery orders profitably as well. Love that. And I do want to go back to a point that you brought up in one of your earlier answers around this idea of being indispensable. Because as I was kind of doing my my research and prepping for our conversation, I came across this notion of the three I's, invisibility, indispensability, and intimacy. How these three I's are, are what helps create that integrated customer relationship. And you kind of talked about this earlier around like, the issues surrounding loyalty. And it's always been a topic of conversation for retailers, but even more so over the past year. I'm wondering what role, if any, fulfillment can kind of play in helping retailers achieve these three eyes. And you may have brought this up kind of indirectly as we were going through our, our previous questions, but it seems like there's bigger opportunities there. I uh, absolutely agree, Alicia. I think the fulfillment function is going to be vitally important in this. And let me tell you why I think that. So retailers have traditionally thought of the shopping journey or even before the shopping journey 
They're thinking about all these touch points with their customers. And I actually think you need to actually quit thinking about touch points and you start to think about trust points. And so every contact with that customer is a place for you to build that trust. And like we talked about earlier, you know, trust is going to be the new currency, right? And that's going to allow you to do things with your customers that you hadn't done before. And so how do you actually make sure that your supply chain actually creates that positive experience that builds that trust for your consumer? And that's, you know, building that trust is where you're going to start to then get the grace from the consumer. They're going to start to share information with you. It's going to allow you to create more personalized offers, more personalized experiences. And that's going to be the key going forward. So I think the supply chain, the fulfillment structure is going to be vitally important to building that trust. So with that, with our eyes pointed towards the future and thinking about what's next, what are the forward-looking opportunities? What can retailers do to differentiate? I mean, we're always trying to think a few steps ahead, you know, even if it seems a bit out of reach because we're so focused on the fundamentals right now. I mean, where do you think the opportunities are for differentiating through the fulfillment experience? You talked a little bit about personalization. We're always thinking about, like, is there a way to integrate tech to make this more relevant for the consumer, even more delightful for the consumer? I mean, where do you think we're headed next and what role can tech or, or even services play to make this a bit more engaging versus just let me get my stuff and get out of here? Yeah. So I think the thing here around that big E experience is really, I mean, how do you know if you're indispensable to your, to your customer? And today, a lot of retailers are measuring CSAT scores. They're measuring net promoter scores. I actually think there are three emotive things that you need to measure. One is around loyalty, and we touched on that a little bit. And then two is around trust. And then those both lead to then the third one, which is love, which every CMO wants to know, do their consumers love them? And I think those are all really key to building that big E experience, knowing if you have that big E experience. And so the one we haven't really touched on is the loyalty piece. And I really want to hit on a couple points here because I think these are really important. So we think about loyalty today. Most loyalty programs are probably more unilateral. It's like the more money you spend with me, I'll pay you a discount here or I'll pay you a perk there. Where we really need to ask the question is not are our customers loyal to us, but are we loyal to our customers? And so think about a couple of examples here. So I was talking to a client actually on Tuesday, and we were talking about this point, and she said, you know, Jeff, she goes, my husband has his favorite fleece, and it's a few years old, had some few miles under it, and the company actually said, hey, we'll repair that for you rather than trying to sell you a new one. And they repaired it, and it looks great and fantastic. Now, think about that. They weren't trying to sell him something more, but they were showing that they were loyal to him. And as a result, he's probably now hooked, right? I mean, he's probably, why would I go anywhere else? These guys took care of me. And then he's now at that point where he's going to easily advocate for that retailer. Another example, and this is more hypothetical, but say you're a baby clothing company. And as a young parent, you've now at your second child and it's time to do the 12 month size clothing. And they, you go to that retail website and they tee up a bunch of options for you. But then you get a message and says, hey, by the way, remember your three-year-old son? He actually went from 12 months to 18 months in a matter of two months. He had that great growth spurt. 
you probably have some items in the closet. You don't need to buy as much as you think you need to buy. And so think about that as, as a parent, every parent's always talking to other parents, trying to figure out what they should do and how they should raise their child. You've now locked in that parent and they're going to advocate for you. And then the last example is one that I read just the other day. This is a fintech startup that had been experimenting by with a retailer. And what they did was for loyalty, they actually gave the consumers fractional shares of that retailer. They gave them an ownership stake. It was relatively small and affordable for that retailer, right? But what they found is that over that two-year period, those consumers shopped 33 or 32% more at that retailer, right? So these are all examples of showing how you as a retailer can show loyalty, but then how that pays off back to you by locking in, becoming that indispensable part of, the, of that consumer's life, but then also triggering those unprovoked advocation points where they'll advocate for you. But I think that's really important. So in terms of knowing whether you're indispensable, I think measuring somehow, are we loyal to, do our customers feel like we're loyal to them? Do they feel like they can trust us? And then do they love us? I think are the three things you've got to think about there. And it's probably a different way to measure that than we've got today. Got him. This is fantastic, Jeff. Thank you so much. This has been so insightful, so many different layers and considerations. But since we're at the top of our time together, I would love for you to kind of distill any key recommendations for our listeners right now, because I feel like we're at this juncture where we're developing our go-forward plans, we're trying to figure out investments, while also taking note of the fact that like things are still evolving, things are still changing. What would you break down for our listeners right now that maybe they may be having trouble figuring out how to prioritize their efforts, what to focus on? Do you have any key recommendations for them? You know, I've got three things that I think our retail friends should take and start to work on if they're not already, which I'd be surprised if they weren't. But transforming supply chains, as we talked about, and that's really to meet the new expectations of that post-COVID consumer. Convenience means choice. It means delivering with speed. It means that there will be little grace for missing their expectations. And remember, retailers no longer about touch points. It's about trust points, opportunities to build trust. So don't let your fulfillment function be the reason that your customers don't trust you. The second point I would say is build your capabilities to deliver that small e-experience. Figure out how you can take friction out of the process. Figure out how you can make it more convenient. Figure out how you can satisfy that anytime, anywhere mindset of your customer. And then the third piece I would say is know your customer. I mean, this has been a hard one for consumers because a lot of times they've got customer data from their point of sale systems that sit in multiple silos. You got to get that in a unified form and then you got to figure out how to augment that so you get a 360 degree view of your customer. And that's going to be really important, not only from a small e-experience perspective, but as as we start to see more things happen from a big e-experience, it's going to be really important. And I know retailers are struggling with these things. My advice would be find a partner that you trust and ask them to help you think through this stuff. Got it. And any closing tips? We've talked a little bit about how there is opportunities for innovation and differentiation. How can they encourage this innovation internally, especially knowing that there are some internal constraints or, or I guess, challenges, just navigating the uncertainty, maybe getting a push and pull from stakeholders? Do you have any ideas for how they can continue to push the boundaries a little bit, push for new ideas and opportunities that drive that, drive that customer loyalty like you were talking about earlier? I think this is going to be extremely important to satisfy that consumer emerging from COVID. And it's also going to be extremely difficult given the pace of change in technology right now. 
And it's not really an option. You know, being a leader in retail has probably never really been more difficult than it is now. And as it relates to this discussion, people need to realize that yesterday's supply chain is not going to be able to satisfy today's consumers. It's just not. And so as we discussed earlier, you got to get to the point where people realize they can't build everything in the house and they've actually got to look outside for that innovation. And they'll probably find better innovation outside than if they try to do it all themselves anyway. And so I think these are the messages that if I were there, I would start to deliver inside my organization to see if I can't help people understand where best we can go find innovation to solve these challenges that we have before us. What a great way to close things out, Jeff. Thank you again so much for taking the time. And thank you for sharing such great data points as well. It really helps bring your insights to life. To that end, I mean, where can folks go to get more information, get more research from you and EY? Well, Alicia, it's been my pleasure to be here today. And thank you for your time. EY.com has a ton of resources, webinars, blog posts, white papers. We're constantly publishing new thinking and content. Our thinking about this big E and small E experience is going to go live in a few weeks. We're just published the most recent results from our future consumer index, the March version. So you can go to ey.com and, and check all this stuff out and use it to continue to monitor our latest thinking on this. Awesome, Jeff. Well, really appreciate you taking the time. I know everyone is super busy right now. There's so much happening right now. So really appreciate you taking the time. This was so helpful. My pleasure. And of course, everyone out there listening, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any comments or, or questions, even for Jeff, we would love to facilitate those follow-up conversations. So please drop us a line on Twitter at our touchpoints or through Retail Touchpoints on LinkedIn. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to the pod. We're on all preferred podcast players. That way you'll get real-time updates when new conversations like this one are available. Thanks, everyone. And thanks again to you, Jeff. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.